Well, good morning, Branch. Um, I'm Jeremy Cook. If we haven't met before, I've been here for about 18 months. I've been a fan of the Branch probably since its inception around six months old when I met Josh and uh, was cheering the church on from 2,000 miles away in Tennessee. Um, so we're in a book of Corinthians this morning, and we will be there for a while. So we're going through that, and we're going to find ourselves in chapter 8 this morning. And I'm going to ask, um, I normally don't do this, but that we would stand, and I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll sit, and I'm going to pray, because this morning is about pride, um, and we need some humble hearts to, to hear from the Lord. So if you're able to stand, stand with me. Like it's your favorite sports team coming out, you're cheering them on, Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It'll be on the screen as well. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating of the food offered to idols, we know that an idol is no real existence, and that there is no God but one God. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things, whom, from, for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former associations with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, or are better off if we do. But take care that the right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, we will not be encouraged. If his conscience is weak to eat the food offered to idols, and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, and the brother from whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. And therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So if you guys can have a seat. And I'm just going to ask God just to speak through us, allow this passage to speak to us, allow his spirit to kind of move in us corporately as a body, as a church, but individually we're at all different places coming in here today. Some of us may really find ourselves struggling with pride. Other, others of us may not even realize we have a pride issue. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we are all very prideful creatures. And so we need God's spirit to speak to us this morning. So let's go before the throne. Uh, Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the church. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and that you've just lavished us with all blessings. God, that we have access to, to the throne because of Jesus Christ, that we can come boldly before you this morning and just cry out, Lord, allow our hearts to hear from you. God, let us be teachable. Let us be moldable. God, let us be just clay in your hands. God, I, I just pray against the calluses of my own heart and the calluses of our hearts in here today, God, that, that you would just capture our hearts and our minds for the next few minutes, Lord, and speak something deep inside of us, Lord. God, and I pray that it takes root. I pray that that seed is, is watered, that you protect it from the evil one, that we can leave here with what you speak to our hearts today, God, encouraged, but God, motivated to, to seek you and seek the kingdom of God and, and see how we can uh, be fruitful, God, in our families and in our surrounding places that you've planted us, God. 
And Father, we just need your spirit this morning. We need your might. We need a willing heart. God, and we can only do these things by your power and your spirit. So I ask in the name of Jesus that you would just allow us to hear from you this morning and let me be out of the way, creating us a clean heart and a right spirit, God. Restore into us that joy of salvation and just let us rest in this good, good message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to time it out before I forget. Actually, it's so you can text me live feeds and uh, I'm just kidding. All right. So I have a question this morning. I don't know if you've thought this. I think we've talked about this before, kind of even in the series, but it'll be on the screen here. Have you ever given up something that you love for someone that you love? Or maybe you've even endured something for someone that you love. And just think about it in your life. If we were to go around the room this morning and kind of take our time and be like, hey, let's all share something funny that you've given up because you love somebody else. I think we learned in this church that Josh used to spray his love letters to Liz. And just different stuff, we've all done things in our lives. But if we were to go around this room this morning, I think we would, a lot of us would enjoy laughter. We'd be like, oh, and a lot of us would be, oh. So in the South, we used to say, like, bless your heart. Like, we would just say, that is so endearing. I can't believe you did that for so-and-so. And so I'm pro- proposing that question this morning because we're going to loop back to it. Because I think a lot of times we are willing to do things for people we love, but we are called much deeper in the Christian faith to love those that we aren't loved back by. But uh, you may find yourself this morning, um, love makes us do strange things. And maybe you've endured physical discipline out of the love for a sport. Maybe you've done rigorous studying out of a love for learning in a particular subject. Or maybe you've endured the enjoyment of tofu to prove your love to your girlfriend. That was me. And maybe, vice versa, she endured barbecue to please me. So, and since then, she was no longer a vegetarian. That's my wife, who I married. <laughs> so maybe I, I endured tofu as a silliness in my life. Like, I really did. I was like, oh, I like this girl. I'm going to pretend to like tofu. I can, I can still handle it a little bit today. But I really chewed on it just to impress her. Or maybe you've forgone food to pray for your beloved friends. Maybe you fasted this last week for healing or wisdom or... Maybe you even dared to fast food for salvation for your loved one. Or maybe you've shaved your head to cheer someone on as they go through radiation treatment just to encourage a brother or sister or your family member. Maybe you've gone that far. Or maybe you've forsaken sleep for others to sit with them in a time of need. Maybe you've forsaken your time and changed and rearranged your schedule to go to a hospital or to visit with somebody or to sit with somebody. Or just you've, you've annihilated your schedule for the week and you're just going to go weep and cry and suffer with a brother or a sister. Maybe you've done those things. Love does this crazy thing inside of us. It allows us to endure things and endear to others. And that's not something that we were just born with naturally. This morning we're going to talk about pride, and our two greatest enemies, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Everything inside of us fights those things. Everything, it might be your, your spouse or your best friend, and you're willing to do those things, but we are called to be much more than just that. We're called to love the stranger because we once were strangers to God. And so this morning, that question is on the table. What are you willing to sacrifice? What freedom are you willing to give? We're going to talk more about freedom in the coming weeks, but I always say true freedom is denying your freedom. You're truly free from something when you're like, okay, that doesn't even affect me. 
when you lay down your freedom as Christ laid down his for us. So I propose the question this morning, are we really willing, am I really willing to deny myself something out of love? Because it goes against everything inside of me. We tend to compartmentalize. We tend to compartmentalize our lives, our time, our resources, our knowledge, our love. We tend to know the right things to say, but forego the actual involvement. I know the right answers so often, but my flesh, I give in, I choose other things, and Paul's going to address that this morning with the church. So this morning in our passage, Paul is addressing the question to the church. The church proposed this question like, hey, what do we do with food offered to idols? And so we see that throughout the scriptures in Corinth, it's it's like, according to this, and you've asked about this, it says, now concerning the food offered to idols. But Paul does something different here. He doesn't just talk about the food. He goes straight to the issue of the heart. Now, as a dad, my kids like to fight often, every day, mostly the boys. My girls are not that way so much. But my boys, like, it's it's really an injustice, whether it's checkers or just some imagination game, or it doesn't even matter. They're going to fight. And they fight over things because it's injustice. One of them is correct and the other is wrong. It's about the rules. It's about he had two minutes and a half, two and a half minutes longer on this or that. But it's this inside of them, it's not like, oh, it's the Xbox. That's not the issue or the game of checkers. I know as a dad that 95% of the time, it's a heart issue inside of my sibling, inside of my kids. It's, it's a heart issue inside of us. And so Paul is going, he's like, okay, yeah, let's talk about food offered to idols. But then he goes directly to the heart and to the mind of the matter. And so Paul comes right out of the gate addressing not the food, but rather the prideful knowledge and the heart of the issue. So let's read these three verses. Now concerning food offered to the idols, we know that all, in quotes, all of us possess knowledge. And this knowledge puffs us up and love builds up. And if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know what he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. When then Paul is addressing this in the quotes, we hopefully see, I want you to see today that he's not arguing that, that knowledge is bad. I want you to hear, like, focus in just for a minute, because we're going to talk a lot about knowledge puffing up today. Knowledge is not bad. Knowledge is to be sought. It's, it's wonderful to be filled with scriptural knowledge or knowledge at OSU. These things are fine. They're tools, but what are we going to do with it is the question. So Paul is not arguing that, that knowledge is bad or even acquiring for it. And in fact, in this situation, we'll see that their knowledge was right, but it was the heart of the delivery or the lack of the heart of the delivery of the knowledge. The knowledge had puffed them up. It had made them prideful. It made them well-read, well-versed, intellectual, elite, and superior to the others around them. And maybe even these believers meant well. I know I, in my own life, I'm so regretful and repentful for times I mean well with my friends. I've been a believer for 16 years, and I've probably given them a lot of bad advice. Things that I thought were like, oh, so spiritual, but maybe I never even sought God. And as we see today, like, I just regurgitated something to them, and maybe it wasn't helpful. So maybe even in this moment, the, the church of Corinth, it may even mean well, but Paul in the end warns that their actions are causing the brothers and sisters to stumble. And in fact, he uses the word destroy. Pride is a peculiar thing. We often are blind to it. I've heard it said, this is kind of silly, but it's true, that the letter I is right in the middle of the word pride, and it wants to take you to a ride on destruction, towards destruction. I know it's something silly, but it's like, man, I 
I, I. The pride. We want to do things that we want to do. We want to be free to do the things that we want to do. And in that pride throughout Scripture, it is warned time and time again that it leads to a path of destruction. My plans. My ideas. It's in our culture to, to decide your degree, to decide your city, to decide the number of kids in your family. It's our culture to, to sit on the throne of our own little kingdom and, and we begin to dictate all these things around us. And we kind of unknowingly don't even realize it. And we kind of gather birds of a feather around and people that are our amen corner and cheer us on. And, and, and so in this unknown way, we end up like 10 years down the road filled with pride. We've set a course to our path. But in Proverbs 16, 18, it says that he declares, the, the writer declares that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 21, 24 says the scoffer is the name of the arrogant, a haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. And Paul agrees that this possessed knowledge is leading to destruction of their fellow brothers and sisters, and their believers are heading to a path of destruction. So what is this, what is, what is this knowledge? Paul is talking about food, but he's talking about the heart of the issue. So in this scripture, he's basically saying the knowledge puffs us up. That you know the right thing. It was like a saying. As a kid in school back in the 80s, and maybe you still say it, but it was like somebody would say something on the playground, you just learned it like three seconds ago. And then you're like, somebody else comes up and says it to you, and you're like, no, duh. Like, everybody knows that, man, duh. And it's like this superiorness, like, yeah, didn't you know that? And like, we are that way as Christians sometimes. Like, duh, everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows what I'm just saying. And so this, this was a common saying. This is what this means that, that Paul's addressing, that all of us possess knowledge. So they had this, like, no duh. All the believers are like, no duh. That's the way you should already know this. Idols are terrible. Duh. Get over it. <laughs> like, and we just don't take into account of, of the baggage. And so in this, verse 2, is, it's a little tricky if, in my simplicity, I'm like, it's a fortune cookie. I'm like, what is he saying? If anyone imagined that he knows something, he does not yet know any as he ought to know. But then there's a conjunction with the function. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul's saying that, that we are known by God since the foundations of the earth that, that Christ knew us. And we should, we should love him. And when we love God, we tend to love people. But when we love ourselves and when we love our knowledge and when we love our degrees and we love our houses and our community and our families more than we love God, there's a danger of destruction. And Paul's just saying, you guys know the right things. Church, Corvallis, the branch, we know the right things, but are we having a heart to deliver those things? Are we having a heart for God? Are we loving God? Are we loving people? Are we sharing this, this wonderful knowledge that God gave us for the furthering of the kingdom? Verse 2 is saying, basically, if you imagine, if you imagine that you know something, the implication is that it, it could be your opinion, your thought process, your logic, your imagining. It is what you have concluded to be true. And when you proceed with this knowledge in an unloving way, you no longer know what you need to know is what he's saying. 
He's basically saying you're missing the point. But more important than knowledge of the right thing is loving the right thing, and the right thing is God in this context. More importantly than knowing God, knowing the scriptures, and loving God, devouring the word of God like it's honey to my lips. I'm not memorizing this just to, to go instill this knowledge in someone else. We don't simply insert or instill the knowledge into our mind and it affect our heart. There's no simple download of the scriptures. There's no app upload. There's no upgrade that, that's, that's instantly downloaded into my life. It's us humbly becoming before Christ. The good news, the gospel knowledge of Jesus Christ is not simply head knowledge for us to simply pass an exam, to impress our friends, to talk about great theolo- theology, to formulate some kind of outcome for salvation. But no, Christ and the cross and the glorious news that our sins have been paid for should radically change us from the inside out. And I know that we can experience this in life. You're in school, you're studying something, and then maybe you get that internship and you get to go out, or, or maybe you've, you've heard about the tragedy in some foreign country and the refugee crisis, and then you actually go and you see it and you witness it. It is so much more than your friends sitting across the coffee telling you about it, right? Something happens to your heart. Something should happen to your heart. Something should be ignited Something should begin to change, and and you should swell up maybe with tears and be broken for a situation. And Paul's addressing that in this thing that, that in the scripture, in this passage, that the church wasn't broken for their brothers and sisters. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, the scripture says he is a liar, for he does not love his brother, whom he has, whom has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Convicted of that quite often. Being in the food cart quite often, and, or just around town, I'm convicted that I'm so judgmental or so quick to scurry on my way and not talk to somebody sometimes, because it's difficult. But yet God has these, these moments in our lives, these, these paths are intersecting for something deeper. Maybe God's refining and doing something in you, but maybe something inside of us, this, this gifted knowledge of the gospel we are to share. Even in this last week in my food cart, I've nicknamed this guy a name, not to be like demeaning to him, but it's like he's, he has a name now, and now I don't know how to pray for him until I know his real name. But he comes by in my food cart, and I'm just like, oh. And maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys don't have friends like that in your lives or acquaintances that you're like, oh, man, look at the time. I only have a watch. I got to go. Like, I got some dishes to do. or I don't have any dishes there. But I'm convicted in my heart as I read this passage that, that God, he's done something inside of me. And this guy is trying to tell me all of his knowledge. It's really out there. And I just need to take that opportunity to proclaim this great news to him. So often I'm selfish. We can let our knowledge puff us up, and we can use it for our own gain, our own elitism, feeling good and superior about ourselves, and ultimately leading to our destruction and maybe even others' destructions. 
Matthew 18, 1 gives us this stern warning. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Love it. God, who's the greatest? And calling him, calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child. Is that what higher education teaches us? Is that what the world teaches us? No, but Christ says, unless we turn and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like a child and the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, whoever, let me read that again, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever, this verse is haunting, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have hung a millstone around their neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. And we're going to get to the end of the scripture and Paul's reiterating this. If we cause a little one to sin, if we cause someone to stumble because God has given us this knowledge, the mystery of the gospel, he has enlarged our hearts, he's given our heart eyes to see Ephesians 1. And if we are misusing this knowledge willingly or unwillingly sometimes, to cause others to stumble, there's a real danger there. And I pray that God would convict and reveal that in my own heart when I choose that path. And again, let me be clear that this is not an argument that knowledge is bad. But what are you going to do with your knowledge? So moving on to verses 4 and 6. So what is this knowledge, in quotes, that they're discussing here? As I said, it's this no-duh moment that everyone knows that this is, this is wrong, so just get over it. What is this offering to food to idols, and what, what in the world does this mean to me in 2019? I don't have any friends offering food to idols. These are all great questions you're asking me, right? On the screen here, I, I, I was in uh, North India a while back, um, and there's a picture of these cookies and crackers and juices offered before the idol. So this does still happen in 2019. You may not see this in Corvallis, but I, I'm going to pose a different question here in a minute. But this is still being done today, as it was back then. And these are truthful statements that, that, that Paul, that the church was saying. These are absolutely 100% truth. They're saying an idol has no re- real existence. Amen, right on, Yes. There is no God but one. Amen. Yes, that's true. Amen means true. Right on. In the world, there are little gods. Yes. There's a God of this age. There's little lords. There's little masters. And then the scriptures even say in Leviticus 19.4, I I don't have these for you, but do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any God that casts a middle. I am the Lord your God. Isaiah 42.8 says it this way, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Or that's actually Psalms 96.5. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory. I give to no other, nor my praises are carved idols. Isaiah 42.8. Galatians 4.8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by whom natures are not gods. And 1 John 5.21 simply says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So, so there, there was nothing wrong with their knowledge. There was nothing wrong with these, these sayings that were going on. But their heart was not right. There was among some that believed that this meal that was being offered to 
the demons. They believe that the meat was demonically possessed. And I would agree if I was a Corinthian, I would become a vegetarian very quickly. If that was my true belief, I was being honest, I was like, I would not eat meat. But that was what they believed, that this meat contained demonic stuff. Demons were inside of it, so they're going to take it to the priest in Corinth, to these temples where the priest offers the food, not just your hamburger, but the entire sheep or the entire animal before the idol. And they would give part of the food to the idol, and a third of the food would be for the priest, and the third was for the worshiper who had taken the food. So this was a common thing. This was going on daily. So obviously the priest doesn't need all this food. He, he can't eat that, so he's selling it to the market. Obviously the idol is not eating the food, so that's ending up back in the market. People are going there for the restaurant. It's, it's, it's their way of... of of getting the demons out of their food. It was their culture. It was their context. And so there was new believers that were in this their entire life. And this is where I kind of want us to, to kind of hone in for a second because I think sometimes we take this knowledge. Maybe somebody's struggling with depression or they're struggling with sexuality or pornography or, or lust or greed or all these things. And we're just like, here's a verse. Here's another verse. You should be better. That's what they were doing. Here's a verse. Don't you know? No, duh. You should be fixed. You should be healed. But for the last 25, 30 years, who knows how long they've been in this context? Who knows how long they've been in this darkness? And all of a sudden, there's this new epiphany. They're coming to faith. They're coming to Christ. And the church is like, duh, get over what you've been dealing with for the last 30 years of your life. Move on. But we are called as believers of Christ to remember who we once were that we were once foreigners to God, we were once sinful, we were once in idolatry ourselves, and we are to lovingly walk beside them, to lay down our lives, to die to ourselves. For our brothers and sisters, we are, we are to come alongside them, and meet them where they're at. And maybe you're in here today and you've never offered food to an idol, but I am certain, I am 100% certain and we all struggle with idolatry, and we will continue to struggle with idolatry. It's simply putting something before God in our lives. Yes, and maybe it's not a statue. Sometimes it's a plasma screen TV hanging on your wall that gets more attention than Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a sport. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's learning. Sometimes it's, it's my family. Sometimes it's my selfishness. Sometimes it's my app. Sometimes these things can become creeping in my life. Maybe there's moments in my life where I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. But Satan is there to come and ensnare you again and again and again and again to deceive you, to take your mind off of Jesus Christ, to take your mind off the pursuit of the kingdom of God, to take you away, take, take your faith away. He attacks you in so many ways. When we let idolatry in our lives, that's why the Old Testament is very clear over and over. It's like destroy them. Don't even inquire about them. Don't even ask about them. Just beat those statues down, burn them in a pile because they will rule your life. And I know in my life I've had many, many idols, many things I've wrestled with. So maybe today you're in here and you've never even like surrendered, you've never even asked God, you've never talked to God about like what does this heart look like to come before you, to, to give it to you. God, what is this cross? What is this shed blood? I, I've just like devoted my life to school. I've devoted my life to drugs and alcohol. I've devoted my life to seeking pleasure and I still feel empty at the end of the day. That is you today and you can give your life to Jesus. I spent so much time of my life devoting it to emptiness, and every day I'd have a high moment, and the next day I'd feel like, 
whatever, fill in the blank there. I was empty. I had idols, idols, idols in my life. And thank God he destroyed them. So if you're in here today, maybe if you're not a believer, and thank you for coming, but like maybe that's something that you just need to take a step into. Okay, God, maybe I want to trust you this morning. Maybe I, I'm sick of giving all my time and energy to these things that I think are going to feed me back, and they don't. And they're so cloaked in disguise. You think they're going to provide for you, but in the end, they leave you empty. There's great, wonderful news in verse 6 here. Paul reiterates the truth. This is the amen section four to six, and he says this. He says, yet, for there is one God, the Father, from whom all things exist. And there's one Lord Jesus Christ from whom all things and through we exist. Paul declares this amazing, wonderful gospel good news. And this truth is echoed through the knowledgeable saints by reminding them, yes, for us there is one God, one Father, from whom all the things and we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all the things and through whom we exist. Yes, idols do not exist with any power. And even great, and even greater news, because of Christ Jesus, we exist. Everything exists. And he who exists, we exist for him. It's, it's kind of a tongue twister, but if you have any knowledge, it's because of Jesus Christ. Because we are known by God, we should have the greatest love for others and for God. Because of Christ's sacrifice, here they are sacrificing to false, false idols. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross before the Father in heaven, we now have access to Father, Abba, through Christ Jesus. We don't have time, but Ephesians 1 unpacks the spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. He has chosen us before the foundations of the world. He has predestined us for adoptions as sons through Christ Jesus, redeeming us through his sacrifice blood, lavishing us in wisdom. Get that, lavishing you with wisdom and insight, making known to you, making known to us the mystery of his will. It's not hidden. He's our friend. He wants to tell you, giving you the spirit of the wisdom. He has given us eyes to our heart. He's enlightened it that you may know the same knowledge, quotes, know what is the hope that we just sing about of which he has called you to. But it's different to have your mind enlarged that puffs, but to have your heart enlarged with the eyes of the mystery of the gospel, of the knowledge of him will radically change your life. You will find yourself loving your brothers and sisters at a deeper level. You will find yourself casting these idols away and selling everything you have and giving your freedom away for the furthering of the gospel. But only when your heart's enlarged. This can be filled up all day long. Paul reiterates it later on in this chapter. I mean, we're going to spend time in freedom. You get to 13, he's like, man, you can have faith, you can have works, you can do all these things. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. It's a big deal. Because Christ wants your heart. He wants all of it. If you and I have any wisdom, it is from Christ Jesus because he first loved us and we are known by God. And we must be humble before his presence. And remember once we were sons of disobedience. But by his grace, and because of the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities of this age, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them. 
He's killed and destroyed death and sin. So how does this look in our lives? I'm going to speak fast this last section. These first few verses says, however, not all of us possess this knowledge, but some through former associations with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God, for we are no worse off if we do eat or we don't eat, but take care that the right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Paul says for us to up, for us to hold up that we don't possess this knowledge, that some of them don't possess this knowledge, because again, they were new believers. They were just coming to the church. And Paul iterates in this same thing, it's a heart issue, it's not the food, it's not about what you eat or don't eat, it's not about the 35 jar of organic honey that you're going to buy down the street, or if you eat Twinkies and soda. God is concerned about the heart. He's not concerned about the food. He's given us freedom. He, he destroyed that. Yes, there are some things that are healthy. But my grandmother lived to be almost 97, and she pretty much drank Coke, had soul food with that, and processed stuff in her cabinet all the time. I'm just for real. I'm not saying you should do that. <laughs> That's a true story. 97, like playing golf till the end, like. We can make food an idol, speaking of idolatry, in our lives. We can judge others in this context in our city if we're not careful. So anyways, Paul says, I've digressed, I am no closer to God than if I eat Little Debbie's. I'm off script here. Uh, One might say we would feel better, but God's love for us is the same. And in in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says this, verse 14. I think this one is on the screen. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he has entered into the house and left the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. He's like, what are you talking about? And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? So get this here. He's going to give them a reason. He's going to, like, come beside them. He's not just like, no, duh. I just said it. You didn't get it. He's like, no, okay, you guys don't understand. Let's take a moment here. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile them, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declares all the food is clean, and he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within our heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, and what pride is in that list? Foolishness. And all these evil things come from within and defile a person. They destroy a person. I wanted to read that in its entirety because sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, I'm just the, the pride thing. I'm not murdering anybody. I'm not committing adultery. Uh, it's in the same list with all these other things that we kind of categorize as worse sins. Oh, that's a worse sin than this sin. I'm not struggling as much as that. We must be careful because that's prideful in itself. God is probably less concerned with what you eat since he has made it all, except for Twinkies. But he is more concerned, I'm kidding, but he's more concerned with your heart than what you're going to do with your knowledge and your freedom. Verse 9 and 10. Take care that you don't use this freedom to cause someone to stumble. 
The next several verses hopefully strike a convicting chord within us. What are we going to do with our freedom? What will we make a conscious effort? Will we make a conscious effort to further the gospel this year, this week? Will I put others before myself, before my preferences, and even before my freedom? That's, that's asking a lot, Jeremy. I can put a little here, a little there, but to deny my, my freedom, man, that's serious. And I'm preaching to myself. All week I've been like, God. And I think my conviction, especially as a dad, because that's, that's where I'm around my kids all day, most of the days. But my actions and my words and not my heart, what they see, is convicting. And they are like little ones. Not just saying little ones as new believers, but they are like little ones. And it's like, man, I, Lord, keep me from helping them not stumble. The message says it this way. I just pulled this out for us to understand verse 10 a little better. For instance, say you flaunt your freedom by going out to the banquet, thrown in the honor of idols, where the main course is meat sacrificed to idols. Isn't there a great danger if someone's still struggling over this issue? Someone who looks to us and is knowledgeable and mature sees you and they go into the banquet, and the danger is that they will become more terribly confused, maybe even to the point of getting mixed up himself in the conscience, and his conscience tells him he's wrong. This is how the scripture sort of plays out in my life to give you like a little practical thing. And I never look back at my past. It's like, whoa, I did that. But it's just like, I want to use that in this moment, hopefully to kind of give us a picture of how this plays out, I think, in our culture. But really, from the age of 16 to 24, um, I indulged pleasure, alcohol, drugs. That was my life. And so think about it. At the age of 24, really, it's like a third of my life. Pretty much all my, like, thinking adulthood, or my lack of thinking, was a third of my life. So ridiculous and idiotic things that are painful for me to even recall sometimes. But it was idolatry of pleasure-seeking, checking out of reality, doing whatever I wanted. Coming to Christ was wonderful. Breaking old habits was very difficult in some ways, but I can remember God's strength and power breaking those strongholds in my life. And it was beautiful and amazing. But here was how it played out for me and thousands of others. Me, the new believer in this story, struggled with alcohol, something that is permissible to the believer and not to the new believer. Wait, I'm sorry. I wrote this out so I can get it to you. So me as a new believer, I'm going to go off script though. Me as the new believer, here I am. I've struggled with alcohol. You're the believer, you being this big person right here. And you have freedom. You've grown up in Christ. Alcohol doesn't have any kind of stronghold. It, you're cool. It's free. It's fine. It's permissible. Absolutely permissible. I'm a new believer. I've struggled with this. I come into your house for me. This is me, my own personal issues. I'm not saying this is how you need to feel. But my friend opens his fridge, and he has beer. And I'm just like a new believer that, like, I don't understand that you just have one or two. My paradigm is like you have six, seven, or eight, and you don't remember the rest of the day. Like, that was the group of people, that was my tribe that I came out of. It's not like, oh, we're out. Like, we, we were communal in the sense, like, yeah, we're all going to share this until it's gone, and we'll do it again tomorrow. That was my community. So coming into this context, the new believer has the right and the privileges, and I really just struggle with that. And it didn't drive me from the faith. I, I walked through the scriptures. I, I don't think I said anything to him, my friend, but it's just like, oh, what do I do with this? 
Like, what, what do I do with it? And then it plays out even a little further in my life as a brand new believer. So about six, seven months later, I thought, okay, I'm going to use this freedom to go reach my friend. I show up at my friend's house. I partake in a beverage with him. And he literally looks at me. He's like, you haven't changed. You're just like me. And I was like, Pfft. sorry, I spit there. But I mean, I was freaking wrecked. I'm sorry if I use that word. But that's, I was like, that wasn't my heart. My intentions were well-meaning. But my friend was like, dude, you are no different. And I took that moment in the next five years of my life to lay down that freedom. I didn't touch it. And now I'm in a place in my life where it has no stronghold, but I still need to be conscious of issues like that. I'm going to run out of time. But these are things that you need to weigh through because of your freedom to, to watch something or th- it doesn't bother you. And maybe it should bother you. Maybe you need to pray about that. In college ministry, my friends love horror movies, and I'm not knocking you if you love horror movies, but I was like, man, let me just take you to Haiti or to this Bihar region. Let me take you to a mission trip, and I can show you that stuff. You don't have to watch it on the plasma. That stuff is real. I didn't want a part of that anymore. But you got to be careful what you're watching, what you're free to do. Man, and even good stuff. I've read stuff on the Gospel Coalition, and I'm like, oh, maybe I want to watch that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I watched that. And I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that we are all at different places in our lives. Because what you watch, you can't unsee. In that moment, I can't take that back from my friend Robbie. You and I have freedoms in Christ, but we are so, I, I want to say you. Maybe you're not. I am so stinking selfish. Now, we get to the end of this passage, and I'm just going to speed through it. But, like, Paul's like, Man, I would forsake meat forever. I'd never eat a sandwich again if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. And we are like, ah, maybe an hour or two, maybe a couple times. I met with him a couple times. He hasn't really changed. I don't think he's quite getting it. Peace out. I mean, when I came to faith, when I, when I came to Christ in this hot mess and I, I walked down the aisle and I surrendered my life to Jesus, there was no lightning strike of this theological, intellectual knowledge that just downloaded into me. I wasn't met by somebody down at the aisle that, that began to follow me around and tell me everything that I was doing wrong, like, you're doing this wrong, you need to get this better, you're living with your girlfriend, this is all terrible. No, Christ was at work in our hearts and we had a lot of baggage. Throughout the scriptures in the past, David was talking about a few weeks ago, but like remain where you are. And it's not like remain in sin, but man, don't just try to yank somebody out of it. You don't know their baggage. You don't know their struggles. You don't know maybe their parents were divorced or you don't know this hurt or that they've been raped or misused or abused. And, and all of a sudden as a Christian, we just want to come in with a verse or two and we try for a couple months, maybe at the most, and, and then we get upset that they don't change. And in the scripture, Paul is like, you are destroying your brother. You are literally destroying him. And that word in the Greek, I'm not going to try to say the Greek word because I'm not cool like that. But it means to like death, to be lost, to obliviate, to be, to be annihilated, to, to be no more. To set aside for, uh, not at persecution, but, but you are sentenced to death. 
and it's everything that Christ did not do. It's the opposite. Verse 11 says, and by your knowledge, the weak person is destroyed. He is annihilated. Your brother whom Christ died for. Christ came to give us life abundantly. He came to give us freedom. He destroyed death. He took your sins. He remembers them no more. But yet our actions have consequences not only to ourselves. It says that we can cause our brother to stumble and we can sin ourselves if we're not careful. And do the opposite of what Christ came to do. So I just wonder this morning for myself. And am I willing to forsake things that I love, that are permissible, that I'm free to do for the furthering of the gospel? And in our lives, you're going to have to ask what that is. It's been different seasons in my life. And I'm at a new season where I'm having to dig deeper and ask God, like, Lord, all right. I'm going to pull up my big boy pants, but I need you to, like, give me the courage. Lay down stuff. Lay down my freedom. Lay down my time. And if you're willing, truly willing, and you've got to ask God for a willing spirit, that he just might call you out of a city that you love, that you're comfortable, that he might call you out of your house, your, your dorm room, your, your courtyard experience. He might call you out of this comfortableness that you don't even see as, like, sinful, and it's not necessarily sinful, but maybe you're, I'm going to say it this way. So in this context, there's certain things that we're causing our brothers and sisters to stumble, that they were doing. But I would even dare to say that there's a lot of things that we're not doing. That we're not doing. That we're okay that our brothers and sisters continue to stumble without in the city because we're not willing to, to go. We're not willing to lay down our freedom. We're not willing to look a little different or a little peculiar. And in my life, I want God to show me this week what that is. I know he's been doing stuff as I've prepared for this, so I've been chewing on this, but I want to ask and challenge you to chew on it this week. Ask God, what is idolatry in your life? Repent if you've like caused somebody to stumble. And if you're allowing knowledge to puff you up, ask God to humble you and use that knowledge for him. Use your degree for the glory of God. These things aren't bad. But don't enter into a situation and use big words. And I mean, if you're in that context, if you're in like a theology group and you're meeting and that's what you're talking about, good. But, but be careful when you're outside those contexts because that belittles people. You start using words I don't understand sometimes. And I'm like, what? Like, it, it just makes you feel little. Like, gosh, I guess I'm not like super Christian. It's true. And it hurts brothers and sisters. And, and depending on where they are in their walk and their faith, it, it could send them out the door for a year or two. And we need to, like, go and run after them, man, because Christ ran after us. Christ forsaken his privilege to heaven and came to earth. There's something on the screen here. I didn't write it. I won't be prideful and pretend I wrote it. 
That's what happened. I missed the page here, so maybe you guys lucked out. It says this on the screen. Only by the transforming power of the gospel can the good of our neighbor come to mean more to us than our rights and our privilege. For in the gospel, Jesus himself gave up his own rights, his own privilege, for our sake. What are you willing to forego? Money, knowledge, degrees, safety. The Bible does tell us to count up the costs. It tells us to calculate things. But sometimes I feel like knowledge, it, it, it puffs us up so much that we're too calculated that we forget to walk in faith and we forget to take crazy risk. We forget to, to try stuff because we're too knowledgeable of the danger of the situation. It's a calculated failure. Failure, 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 don't do that. But we need Jesus Christ to radically transform our hearts that we are willing to forgo food willing to go our freedom for the sakes of our brother and our sister and that we lock arms with them and don't just give them the uh, Christian spiritual nuggets and put this on your fridge and you're going to feel better, but like, let's come alongside them. Let's love builds up. Love builds up. Christ loved you through the death of the cross. And he could, if you and I can be with him, our sins are no more. The, Death is no more. So let us live a life of abundance in Christ. Not head down a path of destruction for ourselves and taking other little ones with us. God have mercy on us. Let's pray. Uh, God, just come before you this morning. God, we, we need your spirit. We need your power. We need your might. God, and humble us before you. God, thank you that you've forgiven us and that our sins are cast from the east to the west, that you actually remember them no more and that you've clothed us in your righteousness. God, let us embrace that this morning. God, no matter what we've done in idolatry or how puffed up we've been or stumbling blocks we've caused others or been stumbling ourselves. God, you are bigger than that, and you've come this morning with open arms saying, I love you. And Father, I pray that you would draw our hearts closer to you this week. God, reveal the idolatry in our lives. Reveal the freedoms that we take for granted. And help us to be more like you, Help us to proclaim the gospel with our lives and with our words to our neighbors and our friends. We ask that in Jesus' name.